Welcome back to our study of 1 Kings. We're looking at 1 Kings chapter 15, verses 9 to 24 this time. And we're going to be focusing on the reign of a king, king named Asa in these verses. Now last time, we were looking at the reign of a man named Abijam and the conflicting legacies that were at work in the reign of Abijam. Abijam was the son of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the son of Solomon, who of course was the son of David. And Abijam was measured up against the reign of King David and the faithfulness of King David. And Abijam was found wanting. He instead had walked in the ways of Rehoboam, his father, and the sins that Rehoboam committed. And so Abijam similarly was not uh, faithful to the Lord in the way that King David was. King David uh, had sinned, but when he had sinned, he had turned back to the Lord and his heart had been faithful toward the Lord um, in that way. And But Abijam was not that way and neither was Rehoboam. But uh, Asa was different. Um, Asa's legacy is different, measures up differently against David's than Abijam's did. And so we're going to look at what happened in his reign and what kind of king he was in verses 9 to 24. So let's start with verse 9. In the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa began to reign over Judah. And he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Ma'akah, the daughter of Abishalom. And Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as David his father had done. He put away the male cult prostitutes out of the land and removed all the idols that his father had made. He also removed Ma'akah his mother from being queen mother because she had made an abominable image for Asherah. And Asa cut down her image and burned it at the brook Kidron. But the high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord all his days. And he brought into the house of the Lord the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels. Now, uh, we were told at the end of the passage last week in verse 8 that Asa, the son of Abijah, or excuse me, of Abijam, reigned in his place. Um, and so now we're looking at the reign of Abijah, or excuse me, of Asa, the son of Abijam. And it says that this, his reign began in the 20th year of Jeroboam. Remember, Jeroboam is the king of Israel. He has the 10 tribes in the north. And Asa is reigning over the southern kingdom of Judah. And it says that he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. So the way the reigns of the kings are counted in the books of First and Second Kings is uh, sort of in relation to other kings. So this king started reigning in the such and such year of the king of Israel or of the king of Judah or whatever. So Asa uh, begins to reign in the 20th year of Jeroboam and uh, Asa reigned for 41 years. Now that reign of 41 years is going to take us just about all the way to the end of the book of First Kings. So for the rest of what we're going to read in First Kings till right at the, the last part of the last chapter, Asa is going to be king in Judah. There will be other kings come and go in Israel after Jeroboam, 
but Asa is going to be the king in uh, in Judah for quite some time, for 41 years. Now it says that his mother's name was Ma'akal, the daughter of Abishalom, which is the same mother who was listed earlier in the chapter for Abijam. So either these two uh, are actually brothers, that Asa is the brother of Abijam uh, instead of his son, but it says, right, in verse 8, that Asa was his son. So more likely, and I uh, read a um, scholar who said this earlier, um, more likely um, his mother is actually, the one listed as his mother here is actually his grandmother, Ma'aka, the daughter of Abishalom. Um, and so that's probably what's going on. Um, so Asa, then verse 11 uh, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as David his father had done. That's a significant statement, right? Uh, Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as David his father had done. So Abijam did not do what David his father had done. Rehoboam did not do what David his father had done. Uh, Solomon didn't even, in the end, do what David his father had done. Um, but Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as David his father had done. So here at last we have a good and faithful king. He's not perfect, just like David wasn't perfect, but he is a good and faithful king. And like all good and faithful kings in the Old Testament, Asa and David and the others, they ultimately point us to Christ. They give us shadows and, and hints of what Christ is going to be like, what Christ is going to do uh, when he comes, of course, he has come now, but uh, looking forward from the Old Testament perspective, they were anticipating the ultimate king, uh, who is Jesus himself. So Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, uh, as David his father has done. So Asa's following a different legacy, right, than Abijam and Rehoboam did. He's uh, walking in the footsteps of his father, David. And here's specifically what he did, verse 12. He put away the male cult prostitutes out of the land, and removed all the idols that his fathers had made. Now, going back to Rehoboam, remember during the reign of Rehoboam, who was the first king of Judah after Solomon, during the reign of Rehoboam, there were male cult prostitutes, there were um, idols, idolatry going on, um, because uh, we're told that they were provoking the Lord to jealousy, which is what idolatry does, provokes the Lord to jealousy. So there was idolatry going on, um, there were high places and pillars and asherim and stuff, we're told, at, toward the end of chapter 14. So all that was going on during the reign of Rehoboam, and it doesn't appear to have come to an end during the reign of Abijam, but to have continued because Abijam, we're told, walked in the same sins that his father Rehoboam walked. And though we weren't told that Rehoboam himself was responsible for those things, they took place under his reign. And based on what we're told of Abijam, that was probably uh, at least partly Rehoboam's uh, fault that those things were going on. So Asa comes and says, that's not how we're going to do it. Not on my watch, not under my reign, no uh, male cult prostitutes, no idolatry. He removes those from the land. Verse 13 says, He also removed Ma'aka, his mother, from being queen mother because she had made an abominable image for Asherah. And Asa cut down her image and burned it at the brook Kidron. So even when it came to his mother, or perhaps it's 
grandmother and and that's not to you know correct what the what the scripture is saying you may have heard um, scholars suggest that sometimes in the genealogies and things uh, father can not mean your you know literal biological father but maybe a generation or two even before that it's just your your ancestor so perhaps here same thing it's not his um, you know literally his mother but um, a, a woman ancestor um, so he's even though the queen mother his mother or grandmother whoever it may be um, has made this image for Asherah made it for idolatry um, he removes it he destroys it he burns it at the Brook Kidron. So he is committed to removing idolatry even when it's taking place in his own family. Uh, so that's a, a serious commitment to being faithful to the Lord, even though it cost him um, to, to do that, right? I'm sure it was not easy for him, even though he's the king, it was not easy for him to uh, oppose his mother in this way and remove her from her position of authority as queen mother. So uh, he's a faithful man, devoted to the Lord, uh, opposing idolatry. Verse 14 says, but the high places were not taken away. So he didn't get rid of everything that he should have. Nevertheless, it says, the heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord all his days. Again, that wasn't true of Solomon, whose heart was turned away from the Lord at the end of his days. It certainly wasn't true of Rehoboam or Abijam, but it is true of Asa, that he is faithful to the Lord all the way to the end. It makes me think of the words of the Apostle Paul, right, who said, I've finished, uh, I've uh, run the race, I've finished the course. Um, you know, he, he'd been faithful all the way to the end of his life. Henceforth is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, and so on. Asa persevered to the end. He was faithful to the end, which, of course, is what all of us uh, want to be, strive to be, desire to be, pray to be, is uh, faithful to the Lord for all of our lives. And Asa, his heart, was wholly true to the Lord all of his days. Verse 15 says, And he brought into the house of the Lord the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels. This seems to indicate, and it's a little uh, difficult to, um, to be sure what's going on here, but this seems to indicate uh, a renewal. And that fits with what's been going on, right? The removal of idolatry, um, you know, being faithful to the Lord, all that. Now... Asa brings into the temple, the house of the Lord, these sacred gifts. Right? And remember, uh, back at the end of chapter 14, uh, the king of Egypt had come. And uh, verse 26 says, He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. Right? And that appeared to be, um, at least possibly, if not likely, a consequence of the idolatry that was taking place in Judah and sort of a foreshadowing of the destruction and exile that would come um, as a result of their idolatry and unfaithfulness to the Lord. But now Asa is being faithful to the Lord and he's bringing back in these gifts, these devoted things, uh, these sacred gifts, uh, rather, into uh, the temple. And so uh, things are looking really good during the reign of Asa. And we know he's faithful all the way to the end. 
But then this next episode is a little bit more difficult to, to figure out um, what to think about it. So verse 16 says, And there was war between Asa and Baasha, king of Israel, all their days. Now we are going to be told more about uh, Baasha later at the end of chapter 15. Remember Asa reigns for a long time, so some other kings come and go during his reign. We'll learn more about him later. But um, there is war between him and Asa, and we saw that that was true uh, in the days of Abijah, and uh, even in the days of Rehoboam, I believe, we're told that there is war between the northern and southern kingdoms, which um, is another reminder of how serious the consequence of Solomon's idolatry and unfaithfulness was. Because it was God's judgment on Solomon uh, that, that brought about the division of the kingdom into north and south, into Israel and Judah. It was a result of, of Solomon's sin that God divided the kingdom. And now these kingdoms are perpetually in conflict with one another. So they're not just separated into two kingdoms, but they're fighting against each other even though they are brothers, uh, so to speak. They are um, you know, members of the same family. They're supposed to be uh, together as the people of God, the covenant people of God, and yet they are uh, constantly fighting one another. So the fallout from uh, Solomon's sin uh, continues in multiple ways. Right then, verse 17, Baasha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. So this is now a different strategy than what Jeroboam had. Remember, Jeroboam built idols in order to keep the people of Israel from going to Judah so that they would worship these idols instead of going to Jerusalem to worship the one true God. Baasha instead builds up a, a city that's meant to prevent people from going into uh, Judah where King Asa is. And as um, this commentary I was reading from Dale Ralph Davis, I've mentioned him before, leaning on him again today, um, he said this appears to be uh, sort of an, an economic approach to uh, you know, squeezing the nation of Judah, sort of like an economic blockade. All right, so he builds this city, Ramah. Then verse 18, Then Asa took all the silver and gold that were left in the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and gave them into the hands of his servants. And King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tabramon, the son of Hezion, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, Let there be a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you a present of silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. So we were just sort of celebrating the fact that Asa was bringing these gifts into the temple. It seemed to be a time of restoration. But now he is uh, taking these gifts, these treasures, right, from his house and treasures that were left in the house of the Lord. And he's sending them to Syria, to the king of Syria in Damascus, uh, in order to um, gain his aid uh, in fighting against the king of Israel. So this doesn't look so good, right? And um, so he asked, the, apparently the, 
king of Israel and the king of Damascus had entered into some kind of pact or covenant. And so Asa sends him money and says, hey, why don't you break that pact with the king of Israel and be my friend instead? And so that money turns the king's head. Verse 20 says, And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel and conquered Aijan, Dan, Abel-Beth-Ma'akah, and all Chinneroth with all the land of Naphtali. And when Baasha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and he lived in Tirzah. So the king of Syria... Uh, breaks his covenant with the king of Israel, instead starts fighting against the king of Israel, or at least capturing some of the cities in his territory. And that, of course, leads the king of Israel to abandon his project in Ramah. And it says he went and, and he lived in uh, Tirzah. Then verse 22, Then King Asa made a proclamation to all Judah, none was exempt, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber, with which Baasha had been building, and with them, King Asa built Geba of Benjamin and Mizpah. Now the rest of all the acts of Asa, all his might and all that he did and the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? But in his old age, he was diseased in his feet. And Asa slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. And Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place." So uh, once, Ra, uh, once Ramah was abandoned, then uh, King Asa commanded his people. They took the materials from that city that Israel had been using to build up the city against them. And instead, they built up a couple of their own cities. And um, then uh, that brings us to the end of the reign of King Asa, at least as far as the writer of 1 Kings wants us to know about it, tells us about his death, and that he was buried in the city of David his father. Now, um, again, that section is a little bit harder to know what to do with, um, but it doesn't look nearly as positive as the first section about the reign of Asa. So he was a godly man. He was true to the Lord as God, um, but he didn't do everything right. We know that even without having to be told, um, but uh, maybe some of what he was doing there in the second half uh, he wasn't supposed to be doing either. So, um, again, a, a bit of a conflicted legacy, but on the whole, a faithful legacy, a godly legacy, a good legacy, a legacy in the line of David, who also was a flawed man, didn't do everything right, but was a faithful king. So, one of the, the things, the, the main thing I think is worth reflecting on um, as we study this line of kings so far, from David to Solomon to Rehoboam to Abijam and now to Asa, is how um, from one generation to the next you might get somebody faithful and you might not. And it's, it's not always a real concrete pattern, right? Solomon was faithful at first, but at the end of his life his heart turned away. We don't have any evidence here in 1 Kings that Rehoboam or Abijam were ever really faithful to the Lord. And then all of a sudden you have Asa, who's like David from generations ago, right? But Asa doesn't have a good example from Abijam or from Rehoboam, but he walks in the footsteps of his father David. He's wholly true to the Lord like David was. He's a faithful and godly man. And so that reminds us of the importance right, of the legacy that we leave 
of the uh, of a faithful life, loving the Lord, pointing our children and grandchildren to the scriptures, encouraging them to trust the Lord and to walk in His ways, but also that you know we don't really we don't have any control over what happens to the generations after us. We can pray and we can be faithful. Um, but some of them might be unfaithful and some of them might be faithful. And uh, you, you might have uh, things you know, go bad for generations and then the Lord um, step in and bring about a faithful generation after that. And um, one of the things that made me think of is um, how grateful we should be for uh, people in our um, sort of our, our family history who have been faithful in the past and uh, the example they have set and the influence uh, they have had uh, upon us perhaps without us even knowing it uh, right think about the people in your uh, family line who may have prayed for you uh, without you even knowing it perhaps grandparents or great-grandparents uh, who prayed for you even though you never really knew them uh, think about the people in your family line who uh, were faithful Christians and uh, set a faithful example that influenced perhaps your grandparents or your parents um, and, and therefore indirectly had an influence on you. Again, maybe you didn't even ever meet them, uh, but the Lord used them to shape uh, your family and ultimately to shape uh, your life. So of all the things we have to be thankful for, um, that's one of the things that we should consider is uh, the faithful examples that we've had go before us um, in the past in our families and of course outside of our families too, the people who have impacted our lives and shown us what it looks like to follow the Lord. And uh, we want to be those kind of people for others as well so that we can say with Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. See you next time. Amen.